Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. NCAA tournament play begins tonight in Dayton, Ohio. Two of the play-in games. I don't think they actually like to call them play-in games, but that's what everybody else calls them because the real tournament starts on Thursday. Two more play-in games tomorrow night, and then on Thursday, a basketball bonanza that is just spectacular for the uh, the following four days. I guess Thursday and the following three days, and then uh, another really cool weekend next weekend as well. Good afternoon. Welcome to Sports Talk Mississippi. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey, and you. Glad to have you along for the ride. Sports Talk is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online, mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Whatever your land financing needs, whether it's equipment, crop loans, uh, production loans, maybe you're buying a new piece of property, maybe you're building a dream house, maybe you're buying some hunting land, whatever it is, Mississippi Land Bank, if you are in North Mississippi, can help. They've been financing land for over 100 years, and they know the lay of the land. You can join us. You can connect with us on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. The C Spire text line, C Spire customer inspired boys what's up borky how are you today doing well i feel like i'm on day two of my radio slash podcasting jordan flu game though are you feeling poorly oh yeah something in new orleans man uh, every did, time did you I drop a new- double nickel today didn't jordan score 55 with the flu see the podcast this morning wasn't near as good as 55 so we have some making up to do this afternoon so don't ever compare yourself to Michael Jordan. All, the only comparison <laughs> I'm making is that we both got sick while on the job. Outside Fair enough. of that, you know, tomato, Fair tomato. Fair enough. Brian, hey, Dad, hello to you. What's up, guys? I'm glad to be here with you at the start of the show. Yes. I'm, I'm glad that you figured out which buttons to push today to make everything work. <laughs> it's progress. It's only six months in. I like it. Uh, you were in Starkville last night. Um, I guess because of the change in the whole announcement time, you, you missed a lot of it. Were people still excited about the uh, the women's basketball announcement, number one seed? Yeah, there, there's still a big crowd at the hump. Uh, still a lot of, of excitement. You know, when I got there, you could hear the people cheering. You know, anytime Mississippi State came on the uh, the jumbotron there, there was a, a huge reaction. From from the crowd there, and of course, talking to Vic Schaefer and players afterwards, they are they are very much excited to uh, once again be a one seed in the tournament and, and go after another national championship. 
There you go. Uh, Chris on the C Spire text line, Borky, wants to know if you got a hold of a bad oyster while you were in New Orleans. Didn't have oysters, but had the best po' boy I've ever had in my life from a place called Parkway, and it was a surf and turf po' boy. Ooh, Parkway is good. It, the best sandwich I've ever had in my entire life. So if that's what did it, then I'll eat it again and get sick again. It was worth it. <laughs> All right. Uh, good for you. Rippy, what's up? Little baseball coming up tonight? Yes, uh, Pine Bluff. The Arkansas Pine Bluff Lions. Golden Lions. Golden Lions. Lions. You got a full scouting report. Hey, Dad, you saw them a couple of weeks ago. They're bad. A lot of runs to be had against them, right? Yes. Yes. If you don't win big, you should feel bad. Well, do they have a soft-tossing lefty that has a 57-mile-an-hour curveball? Because maybe not. I, I want to say they, a lot of they lefties were the, the team a few weeks back that had a soft-tossing righty who stayed in the mid-60s most of the game. Ooh. Well, the good news is the sun's out. Mississippi State's got baseball tonight as well, right? Yep, against another uh, Arkansas team, Arkansas Little Rock. Little Rock. Uh, You saw Little Rock earlier this year, didn't you? Yes. Also a team that is prone to give up a bunch of runs? The Trojans are prone to give up a lot of stuff. (laughs) Good to know. Hey, we'll, we'll not. Uh, yeah, I'm. I nope, nope, nope. Not going there. Not doing it. I don't know what you're talking. about. Unless we actually just did. Um, not diving too deep here, though. Ole Miss has released its lineup tonight, and it looks a little bit different. Anthony Servideo leading off in center field. Kessinger at short. Keenan at first, not at third. Tyler Keenan at first. Thomas Dillard in left. Ryan Olenek at third. Cole Zabowski, D.H., and Cooper Johnson catching. Jacob Adams at second. Carl Gendel in right field. And then Jordan Fowler getting the start on the mound. Is that Ole Miss's best outfield combination with Dillard in left, Servideo in center, and Gendel in right? I I mean, defensively maybe, but I would say best overall would be Servideo in center and Olenek in right. Okay. So we'll uh, we'll see how that goes uh, this afternoon. Anything worth noting with regard to Mississippi State's lineup tonight? Just roll them out there and play. I'm inter- interested to see if Josh Hatcher remains in left field or if they go back to Rowdy Jordan. Rowdy has been struggling quite a bit this year. Uh, Hatcher, on the other hand, has been really really hot. He's hitting over 400 uh, in limited appearances, obviously. So uh, do they? You know, in the midweek, do they let Rowdy have another crack at it? And, and we'll see where that takes us into the weekend. Got a busy afternoon coming up for you, especially on the Farm Bureau phone line. We're going to talk uh, some college baseball with Teddy Cahill from Baseball America. We'll talk some hoops with David Brandt from the Associated Press. Also, Ross Dellinger from Sports Illustrated, who calls Baton Rouge home and used to cover LSU at The Advocate. Borky says we're going to talk to Ross Dellinger about what the hell is happening in Baton Rouge. So there's your Pretty much sums it up. Yeah. Uh, scandal on multiple fronts uh, in and around Baton Rouge. Borky, you're going to take us down the 12-5 upset road this yeah. afternoon? Yeah, the 12-5 upset road is, um, I mean, it's an old adage, right, that, oh, be careful of the 12-5, but it's rooted in absolute fact. And I also looked at the percentages of number of seeds that make the Final Four based on seeding because I saw a prop bet that you can almost guarantee is going to hit, and I will give that to you as well. Okay, look forward to that. Boys, it is good to be Mike Trout. 
So we had all the off-season conversation about where's Manny Machado going to go and how much is he going to get paid and where is Bryce Harper going to go and how much is he going to get paid. And I don't know if you remember or not, we were talking about Mike Trout a couple of weeks ago, and there was question about, okay, how much is Mike Trout going to actually get paid? And I did throw out one possibility. I said, what if Mike Trout doesn't go through the whole free agency thing What if one day the Angels just pop up and say, we've signed Mike Trout to a long-term extension, here you go? Well, that's exactly what happened today. Although it wasn't a long-term extension that they signed him to. I guess technically it was. But what they did is they tore up his contract. He was in year four of a six-year, $144.5 million contract. It's good money if you can get it. They tore up that contract, threw it in the trash can, dumped it in the fireplace, and said, Kapoof, we're going to sign him to a new deal. A 12-year, $430 million contract. It is not only the richest contract in baseball history, it is the richest contract in the history of American professional sports. Good to be Mike Trout. Don't you feel like no argument lost in this deal, though? What's that? I mean, he plays for a franchise that is largely irrelevant, that's never really on television, that has no real chance of winning a championship because they won't pay anybody else. You know, the best player in baseball, and you will unless you are a diehard Angels fan, you're you're unlikely to see him play more than a couple games a year. Yeah, is that a problem for baseball or? Or do we tip our caps to the Angels for locking up the best player in the game for the next decade? I do well, like it's good the, for the Angels, but I don't know about good for baseball. If he played for the Dodgers instead of the Angels, you'd be singing a different tune, right? <laughs> of course. Well, no. I but mean, again, I know you hate the Dodgers, but the right. point is, the Dodgers yeah, the, are yeah, not exactly the that. You know, he's with a premier franchise that has a legit chance to win championships. We'll put stars around him. Will be on you know television that it's marketable, you know. I mean, like I, I was telling somebody, I, I don't know that I've ever actually sat down and watched a full Angels game. I don't know how how often I've seen Mike Trout play. Not since the days of the Rally Monkey, right? I don't want to talk about that monkey. Oh, did they beat the Giants? They did. Huh. I guess we'll dive into this later on in the show as well, but it it. There are people that think that Machado going to San Diego and now this deal is bad for baseball long-term, but is it? Because the NBA saw massive growth with the Knicks being pathetic and the Lakers being pathetic. In that time, you had San Antonio winning championships. Cleveland won a championship with the most transcendent star in in the game, but you get my point. is The NBA saw massive growth when the two biggest markets were playing terrible basketball. So do we need the Dodgers to sign guys like this, or is it okay that they're going to these small markets? You know, Borky, the interesting thing to me, and you've heard me say this before, and I will continue to stand by it, because it is a major professional sport in the United States, we immediately compare Major League Baseball to basketball and to football. You know, it's just not as popular, not as many people watching. You're losing viewers. Except for the fact that baseball is wildly healthy at a local and a regional level. And if we get to the point where we just accept that baseball is different than the NBA and the NFL, then I think we can all 
maybe get to a little bit different place with how we look at it. Tuesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi. Don't forget you can tweet the show at Sports Talk M-I-S-S, the Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter feed. Glad to have you along. All right, let's dive in. Uh, A little bit of a stat drop from Michael Borky with regard to the NCAA tournament. He did the research. I'm not going to steal it. What do we need to know, Borkaroo? Okay, a couple of things for you regarding the 12-5 matchup. I'm sorry. I'll never call you Borkaroo again. That was terrible. Uh, You've done it before, though. Oh, well, maybe I will again at some point. (laughs) That doesn't bother me. It's better than Mike. I can't stand Mike. Please, never. Hey, Mikey. Oh, I can't do it. I I feel like a child when people call me Mike. But anyway, um, first, I I looked at this. Does Gallo call you Mike? I can see that. I don't think Gallo has ever addressed me by name. Oh! (laughs) He knows who I am. When we walk by each other in the hall, we point at each other and say, hey, but I don't think he has ever actually used my name in conversation before. Okay, fair enough. It's kind of his thing. But uh, I was looking at this naturally because Mississippi State is playing a 12 seed. And by the way, 90% of the bets have come in on Liberty and dropped the line down to 6.5 now, uh, just as a side note there. there Where has, was it, an 8.5, 9 yesterday? Yeah, it's already down to 6.5, depending on what book you look at. 90% of the public money is going on Liberty. Of course, they get the point spread as well, but 90% yeah. on Liberty. There has been... At least, so you know I'm going the other way on that. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. But um, there has been at least one 12-5 upset in 29 of the last 34 NCAA tournaments, and for whatever it's worth, uh, the only 12 seed to advance to the Elite Eight was Missouri back in 2002. Quinn Snyder had perfect gelled hair. You're, you Do you remember Quinn Snyder? Does that name do anything for you? You guys are... He went to the NBA for a while too, didn't he? He's, he's in the still NBA the coach right now, isn't he? Jazz. Yeah, he's with the Jazz. Yeah, he's the coach of the Jazz. Um, so the only 12 seed to get all the way to the Elite Eight during that time period is the 2002 Missouri Tigers. All right, so 20. So only five times in the last 34 years have you gone without a 12-5 upset. And the most recent one, by the way, was Kermit Davis's Middle Tennessee State team. Okay, they won two years ago as a 15 seed. Yes. And then was it last year that they won their first game as a 12 seed? Is that right? If I remember correctly, two years ago they were a 12. Okay. I'll pull that up and double check. Either way, it's 29 of 34 with a 12-5 upset. The next thing here is the, the 12 seed... Beats the five 35% of the time. That is significantly higher, as you can imagine, than the 13, than the 15, than the 16. And almost the same amount that the 11 seed beats the six at just 3% fewer, and the 10 seed beats the seven just 4% fewer. Hmm. Okay, so in Kermit Davis, and in the 2016 NCAA tournament, they were a 15 seed and beat the two seed Michigan State. And then in 2017... As the number 12 seed, they beat the yeah. fifth-seeded Minnesota Golden Gophers. Yeah, and, and we did not get a 12-5 upset last year. All right, so again, 35% of the time. So so that's one of the five times in the last 34 years where you did not have a 12 beat a 5. Yes. Okay. So let me run these numbers right back at you. You just gave them to us. The 12 beats the 5 
35% of the time. Um, the 13 beats the 4 only 21% of the time. The 15 beats the 2 only 6% of the time. And then one time in the history of forever, you've had a 16 beat a 1, and that was last year when UMBC beat Virginia. Did I, did I do that right? Yes, you did. You did it right. Okay. I once read um, something. I, I, I forget where I read it, but if it said if you bet the money line on all four 12 seeds to win, you will always win your money back, at least. Because, like as you can see here, uh, there was a streak there, too. I forget where it was of, of the 12s winning, but the, the 12s win games. So you go bet those four money lines, you're probably going to make a, a nice profit. Hmm. So what about the 12s this year? What, what do you think? I mean, obviously you've got Mississippi State, Liberty, in a 12-5 record, or in a 12-5 game. What are the other three 12-5s? You got those in front of you, Bort? Um, I can tell you two off the top of my head. Murray State and Marquette in Oregon and Wisconsin. Okay. Can't think of the other one. The other one's Auburn, New Mexico State, is it not? Or is Auburn a four? Uh, no, that's right. Auburn's a five seed. Despite winning the tournament, yeah. they held on to the five seed. So Auburn, New Mexico State, Mississippi State, Liberty, Marquette, Murray State, with Marquette as the five, and then you said Oregon against who? Wisconsin. Oregon, Wisconsin in a 5-12 game. And that's only a one-point spread, by the way. So it's almost a pick in that 12-5. All right, so Looking if I'm handing you from the go ahead, Borky. I mean, I hate no, it. go ahead. Me. Go look at my official bracket here from the Sports Talk Mississippi Tournament Challenge, which I joined yesterday. I got two five twelve upsets. I got Oregon, and I got Murray State. The Murray State thing's a trendy pick. Why do you go in that direction? I mean, Marquette. Yes, Ja Morant is unbelievable. Lottery pick. Marcus Howard could be as well. A little bit of a wrist injury. He was 1-15 of 15 in the last game for, um, for for Marquette when they just got blown out by Seton Hall in the Big East tournament. Why is that the one you pick? Uh, because I think the best player on the court plays for Murray State. I think okay. that's John Morant, 20, 25 points and 10 assists a game. I'm going with that guy. I'm going to ride with him. Okay. All right, so if I give you, if I hand each of you four $100 bills, and I say, go bet the 12-5 game. And you got to do it on the money line. Hey, Dad, you just told me that you picked, for at least for terms of the bracket, two upsets. If I handed you four $100 bills, is that how you would bet it also? Would you bet two and two? Yeah, I would. Okay. So you would take Oregon and you would take mm -hmm. Murray State? Yes. Then you would take Mississippi State against Liberty and you would take Auburn against New Mexico State? Correct. Borky, what would you do if I handed you four Benjamins and said bet these four games money line only, not against the spread? Winners. Probably the exact same way. If you gave me the spread, I would just put it on all four 12s. Okay. What about you, Rippy? I would put two on Oregon and then probably the other two on... No, you don't make it more complicated. You have to bet all four games. You have four $100 uh, bills to bet the four games. 
You can't just decide how to use my four hundred dollars. Okay, what then what do you mean if you have four one hundred dollar bills and you have to bet all four games? What other ways that that means a hundred dollars a game? Yeah. I thought you were saying you would put $200 on one game and $200 on another game. And, I thought and you were asking bet. me which ones I would bet. No, I'm saying which way would you go? You had to bet all four of those games. How many of the four would you bet the underdog? The 12 seed. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Um, Two of them, maybe. I'd probably go New Mexico State and I'd probably go Oregon. Moran's good, but they give up too much size. Yeah, I'm, I don't think I'm going with the Murray State pick. I know there are a lot of people that would love to see that. I think I'm leaning in the direction of Marquette. I like Oregon in, in their game. I like Liberty, or excuse me, I like Mississippi State against Liberty a lot, a lot. I, I did an interview earlier today with um, uh, with some of the guys on on Sirius, and you know they were talking about upsets in the twelve five game, and I thought I, I just don't see it. The personnel doesn't work. The, the the overall record and the, the body of work to get to this point, it doesn't make sense to say, ooh, Liberty over Mississippi State. You're saying Liberty over Mississippi State because it's a 12 seed and you probably don't follow Mississippi State all that closely. Now, if you tell me, like, like if we can know the outcome, and, and I get this doesn't make any sense, but if you tell me it's one of those games where Lamar Peters completely doesn't show up, he has two points, six turnovers, and three assists in the game, and Adu takes one shot and gets only three rebounds, and um, Eric Coleman only takes three shots in the game, then I might be on board with you. But, hey, Dad, didn't it feel like Mississippi State kind of found a little something with shot distribution over the last couple of games of the regular season and the tournament games? I thought so. I, I thought the guy you didn't mention, Eric Coleman coming back around is a huge key for Mississippi State. And he gets them a mismatch with a lot of teams because of his size and his ability to take it to the perimeter. Yeah. Well, and also didn't miss it, mention Tyson Carter, who's played really, really well in the last month of the season. And it's kind of done multiple things. I mean, he's made shots. He's run the point some. He's been a calming influence on that team. Uh, now, with all that said... I'm not sure that I'm going to pick Mississippi State in a second-round game against Virginia Tech. Right. But I certainly like Mississippi State in the opener against Liberty. Hey, Borky, nice research. When's the last time you did that much homework? (laughs) I appreciate it. Farm Bureau phone line coming up next. We will chat with Teddy Cahill from Baseball America. We'll stop breaking down the bracket for a little while and talk some college baseball with Teddy Cahill from Baseball America on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. That is Mississippi Farm Bureau. Teddy Cahill right now. Number one team in the land, according to Baseball America, is UCLA. And then at number two, Mississippi State. I feel like I've seen that matchup somewhere before, right, Teddy? have, although I, I will admit that when we put that poll together on Sunday night, it took me a full six hours to realize that that was a 2013 rematch at 1-2. I think that other fans, or, or the Mississippi State fans, probably put that one together a little faster than I did. Yeah, except for the fact that they may have kind of pushed that matchup out of their mind. That was a great <laughs> trip to Omaha for Mississippi State right up until the two games of the championship series. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it would be fun if uh, we got to see that again. I'd take that any time in June, whether that's uh, you know, a finals matchup, just a game in Omaha. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to see it as a super, but I mean, if it happened, I wouldn't be that upset about it, I guess. So, so Mississippi State rises from seven to two. They move up five spots in the poll. Last week went uh, went three and one, had a non-conference win, and then they get two of three from Florida. What are you seeing from Mississippi State that justifies, in your mind, them being the number two team in the country? I mean, I think to this point their body of work is just very, very impressive. Um, you know what they've done in, in terms of winning a ton of games against some pretty good competition. You know, they, they went down to Gainesville. They won a series uh, in, in McKeithen Stadium, which is not an easy thing to do. And uh, that, that was a big start to SEC play for them. And, you know, the uh, tournament in Frisco was a, a nice feather in their cap as well. Being able to beat Texas Tech out there uh, on that Saturday was, was nice. And, I mean, they're sitting at 18-2, and two and uh, it, it's been an impressive run for them uh, of a nice winning streak that they've put together to this point. And, I, you know, the schedule hasn't been one of the, the most challenging in the country. It's been good. It hasn't been uh, totally insane, though. A lot of home games, but they're doing what they need to do, and that's just winning a bunch of these games, and they have enough statement wins scattered throughout here, whether we're talking about Southern Miss or Florida or that, that game against Texas Tech, that I think it's just a, a rather solid start to the season for the Bulldogs. Teddy, have you seen Mississippi State play in person yet this year? I have not seen Mississippi State yet, and that is coming up in uh, a couple weeks. I, I, I only ask because I would, would be curious, and, and certainly we'll talk about this a, a few weeks from now after you see them in person, but you know, from a, a, a guy who's covered college baseball, I'd kind of be interested and will be interested to hear how you think the combination of Ethan Small and JT Ginn as a one-two punch stack up against some of the better one-two punches that we've seen in recent years. And, and I don't think that's a question that, that's crazy to ask at this point, given kind of the numbers that those guys have put up. No, I mean, right now, it looks like the best one-two punch in the country. And so, you know, if it continues through SEC play, I, I think that that will end up being a fair question to ask. Uh, and, and what they've done to this point has been very, very impressive. And, uh, you know, I know Florida was able to get to Ginn a little more than he'd been gotten to to this point. So we'll see what happens as SEC play continues. Uh, but to this point, those two are absolutely lights out. And, uh, you know, that, that's a big part of the reason why they've gotten off to this 18-2 and start. So Mississippi State rises five spots in the poll from seven to two. Ole Miss does a little bit of a tumble. They go from twelve to eighteen in this week's top twenty-five for you. Tough week where they lose two in the midweek at Louisville, and then they lose the middle game against Alabama. What are your concerns right now when you look at Ole Miss? Yeah, I mean, I think right now it's kind of the same deal it's been since you know we looked at this team preseason. It's just a matter of when is the pitching going to come together. I still think it will. It's just a matter of them uh, continuing to work to find the right combination. I think Etheridge has been solid, um, and I think they have exciting arms around him. It's just a matter of getting that all lined up and uh, making sure everyone's uh, you know, in, in the right role and, and comfortable in that role and, and performing as well as they can be. And, and that's going to take some time. I, I figured it would take some time. Uh, and you know, when you go on the road and play two midweek games like they did against a quality team like Louisville, you know, I think that's going to uh, let you know some things and, and expose some certain things. And I think that's kind of what happened this week, and, and they kind of have to go from, from there to – to make some adjustments, but I, I do like uh, the Rebels overall, and I, I think that offense is going to provide 
a good amount of support for the pitching staff. It's just a matter of kind of figuring out all of those roles for for the uh, pitching. And interestingly, Ole Miss fans right now are just kind of in wait-and-see mode because they're going to have a different rotation. You know that Will Etheridge is going to throw game one. Not entirely sure if Hoagland's going to bump up to game two or stay in that game three spot, but Zach Phillips is going to start a midweek game, so he is not going to be in the rotation this weekend. Conventional wisdom seems to be Doug Nikhazy, but it's kind of a wait-and-see as Mike actually... Okay, I think Doug Nikhazy is going to be one of the weekend starters, so... A little bit different look this weekend for the rotation for Ole Miss as they go to Missouri. Yeah, that's going to be interesting to see. I like the embrace of the freshman there. Um, you know, we'll see. I mean, Hoagland is, is, is solid, and I, he can be a really quality SEC starter. If, if that ends up being what they land on going forward, I, I, and I think it could be, I like it. Uh, it's a little inexperienced, obviously, because Etheridge, uh, you know, doesn't have starting experience in the SEC before this year, so. Uh, you know, even though he's a junior and has plenty of SEC experience, it's still going to be a different role matching up with those those big big time Friday guys. So I, it, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But I, I do like where the potential of that rotation uh, if they are able to stick with that uh, for for the next several weeks. Teddy Cahill on your radio from Baseball America. You know, you make preseason polls, and it's certainly hard because there's so many things that are going to change, but not just in the Baseball America poll, but in every poll that was out there, some combination of LSU and Vanderbilt were 1-2. And you look at the way those two teams have played so far, LSU has fallen to, what, number 12 in your top 25, and Vanderbilt has slipped a little bit uh, down to number 5. They lose two at A&M this weekend, and now you've got Vanderbilt and Florida. Kind of hard to think or or would have been hard-pressed to find – too many people that would have believed that both of those teams would be one and two going into the second weekend of conference play. Absolutely. I mean, that, that's not something that you typically see, and now you look at it, one of them is going to come out of this weekend with back-to-back series losses to start SEC play, and right. that's never a place you want to be. So, I, you know, I, I don't think either team is going to be feeling you know any added pressure to avoid that this weekend, but I, I think that the winner is going to, you know, feel a little bit. Uh, you know, say you know, they're, they're definitely going to feel better, and the, and the loser is going to be looking at, at a two and four or, or a one and five record coming out of this. I mean, that's that's going to be very strange for either one of those teams. So there, there's a lot on this weekend. Uh, I still think they're both really talented. Um, you know, I think that uh, you know Florida had the misfortune of running into Mississippi State when the Bulldogs are playing some of the best baseball in the country and. Uh, you know, Vanderbilt, they had that series one, it looked like. They, they had a late lead at A&M on Saturday night, and uh, A&M came back, and then they kind of were in control on Sunday. So Vanderbilt, I don't want to say they're reeling at all, but, I mean, they, they kind of have to get right in a hurry because the, the Gators coming into Nashville, and, you know, that, that's a really good offense that Vanderbilt's pitching staff is going to have to contend with. What about LSU? This is a team that, had issues in the rotation a year ago. Zach Hess is a really good pitcher, might be one of the best closers in the country, but he's their Friday night guy, and it looks like he's going to be their Friday night guy. Is this a typical LSU team that's somewhere about midway point in SEC play? They hit their stride, and we look up, and they've won like four series in a row, or is it an LSU team that's going to struggle a little? I still think that eventually they're they're going to hit that stride, and you know, Palmineri plays so well in May. He always finds a way to get LSU right in that last month of the season, and I still think that that is what happens ultimately. But you know, the last few weeks have been shaky, 
um, you know, yeah, they swept Kentucky. Uh, it took them an awful long time to, to break out offensively on Saturday in that doubleheader, and then ultimately they really broke out. Uh, but it, it took an awfully long time, and, and Kentucky's A set Thompson is really good. But, uh, you know, that, that's not something you typically see in the box, I feel like. And uh, a week ago, they, you know, Cal gave them a huge run for their money, uh, and, and Cal is kind of a mediocre team right now at best. Um, you know, so LSU has some issues to work out. I think they, you know, I, I still really believe in the talent, but I do think there are definitely going to be some growing pains, and you're seeing them, and I think that you're going to continue seeing them for another few weeks at least. Certainly interesting stuff. This is going to, uh, we, we've talked about it, Aaron. It's going to, excuse me, uh, Teddy, um, apologize for that, that uh, <laughs> it's going to be one of those years where, Every weekend, you've got games that matter, and you kind of look at it and you go, I'm not entirely sure how that series is going to go. Absolutely. I mean, especially in the West, where every team looks like it's absolutely stacked. I mean, Alabama right now, I feel bad for the Tide trying to dig out from this. Uh, yeah. But they're a better team than people are going to realize because their record may not show it at the end of the year. But, I mean, I think what Ole Miss saw this weekend is a really talented team. And uh, in that SEC West division, every weekend is going to be a dogfight. And the East is going to be really tough, too. But, I mean, you just look at all the teams in the West, and it's uh, – it's it's stacked, and you know there are going to be some weird results. I think because you know it, the, the teams are just so good, and they're going to beat up on each other over the next nine weeks. Teddy Cahill, Baseball America. Teddy, really appreciate your time, man. Good visiting with you. We'll talk to you soon. Like the legend of the Phoenix. Back with you Tuesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. It's all brought to you by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Ole Miss will face Oklahoma on Friday morning. Mississippi State will face Liberty on Friday evening. And Southern Miss is in action in the postseason. They are playing in the CBI. Going to go on the road to face Longwood. So three Division I teams in postseason play in the state of Mississippi. And right now we bring in David Brantz from the Associated Press on the Farm Bureau phone line. DB, what's up, my man? What's up? How are you? I'm doing well. You excited for a little postseason basketball? Man, this is fun. You know, it's it's been a long time. It's been, what, 17 years since Ole Miss and Mississippi State have both been in the big dance. And it's just it's fun to have meaningful March basketball. This is good stuff. Yeah, I agree with you on that point. What, so t- 2002, that's a long time to go between both Ole Miss and Mississippi State being in the field of 68. Now, both teams have had you know one or two times where they've gotten in in the interim, but for both of them to get there kind of speaks to a, a an increased level of commitment at both schools, doesn't it? Oh, I think so. And, and not only get in, but there really wasn't much drama on Selection Sunday. You know, State was obviously in, and Ole Miss was like 99.9% in. And I, I think you're seeing... Two schools that, that made really good hires, State with Ben Howland and then uh, Ole Miss with Kermit Davis. Uh, obviously, Ole Miss has their new basketball facility, which is amazing. And, and it's kind of across the SEC where uh, you know a rising tide raises all boats. I think it's been an emphasis in the league the past seven or eight years to really invest in basketball, to schedule well, and you're seeing the payoff. You know, they got, they got seven teams in, and they nearly got eight. Um. Quick thought on Southern Miss. This was a year where they won 20 games. 
I feel like in a lot of ways, and this is partly our fault, that Southern Miss basketball has flown on under the radar uh, because of just the the incredible penalties that they had to deal with in the in the wake of Donnie Tindall. Doc Sandler has quietly done a really good job in Hattiesburg, and they are back in the postseason. They're playing in the CBI. It's off the radar a little bit. But any postseason tournament for Southern Miss, given kind of the road that they've had to, to navigate to get back to this point, pretty impressive. Oh, it's it's really kind of been incredible at, at the turnaround. And, and I give Southern Miss credit, too, for allowing Doc Sadler the time to turn that program around because there were some lean years in Doc Sadler's first couple of years. But, you know, yes. Kermit Davis has done an amazing one-year turnaround. But Doc Sadler, from what he had to overcome to do, you know, a good, like, four-year turnaround, it was just been great. He was a good coach at Nebraska back in the day. Um, always had them kind of on the cusp of the NCAA tournament and everything, and now he's doing good stuff at Southern Miss. And so, you know, they, they had some big wins in conference. They were right up there with the top teams. Um, you know, finally got some fan interest going back there. I mean, you know, they for a few years there, they were playing in front of friends and family, essentially. You know, it was it was rough, but they got the excitement back. Um, they, they got the good momentum back. So I, I think this is the start of Southern Miss being pretty competitive on a regular basis. And from a personality standpoint and a humor standpoint, Doc Sadler's off the charts. Oh, he's incredible. I, there was a couple years ago, again, when Southern Miss was their, – their team was just terrible. And they played Mississippi State in Jackson at the Coliseum. And you remember, like, State at one point scored, like, 27 points in a row and just crushed them. I mean, it was one of the more lopsided games I've seen in the past three or four years. And I would give Doc Sadler all the credit in the world. I was, like, the only reporter that wanted to talk to him. And he was just sitting on a screen, like, rubbing his temples, you know, just like (laughs) you could see the migraine from a mile away. But he had some hilarious comedy. He always kind of kept his head through some you know, kept his humor while understanding the job ahead, and I think that served him well to, to turn this thing around. Mississippi State, a 5C. They're playing in the 5-12 game. Everybody immediately talks about the whole 5-12, 12-5 upset that uh, that you see happening. Borky did some digging earlier. 29 of the last 34 years, you've had a 12-seed upset, a 5-seed. I don't see it happening in this particular 12-5 matchup against Liberty, just kind of based on the numbers and the personnel and uh, you know the schedules that they've played. Is there anything that you see when you look at Liberty or you look at Mississippi State that makes you think the Bulldogs are not going to get out of their first-round game? No, I think Mississippi State has done a good job throughout the year of handling opponents that they are athletically better than, and, and I think that they are going to have that advantage on Friday. I think, you know, that there is an outside chance if Liberty comes out shooting hot from three-point range as they've been able to do occasionally, then things might get interesting. But really that goes for just about any game you play at the Division One level. If the other team shoots lights out from behind the arc, you know, then, then there might be a, a chance for an upset. But I think Mississippi State across the board is going to be the stronger, more physical team. I think in games like this, they're just very good at taking care of business. So, um, you know, obviously things happen, like you said, in a 5-12 game, but I think Mississippi State is a is a fairly safe bet in this one. What about the um, potential second-round matchup? And I'm just kind of going with chalk here. So assuming Mississippi State beats Liberty and assuming that uh, Virginia Tech wins their first-round game, looks like Justin Robinson's going to be back for the for the tournament. That's a big, big boost for Buzz Williams and Virginia Tech. I've said for the last couple of days, that feels like a sexy second-round matchup. 
Yeah, that's a that's a big boy second round basketball game if it comes to that. I mean, I've seen it a couple times this year on TV. Um, you know, in the ACC was just loaded, just like the SEC was this year. And Virginia Tech gave all kinds of top teams all they wanted. And so, you know, I'm interested. The one knock I will put on Mississippi State this year is they kind of beat all the teams they were supposed to beat. And they lost mm-hmm. to most of the teams they were supposed to lose to. You know what I'm saying? They lost to LSU. They lost to Kentucky twice. They lost to Tennessee. You know, they lost to Auburn on the road. And there's no, there's no shame in that. It's not like those are bad losses. But I never really saw Mississippi State play out of its mind and at the level to, to beat a top 10 or 15 program. And I think Virginia Tech's that good. I think they've played that way all year. So, really, I think State has to play better than they have all year. And they can do that. They're good enough to do that. But uh, that, that's going to be a really hard game. State's going to have to really play well on a big stage. And you've got to get past Liberty first. But I think that's going to be a great game if we get to the second round. Yeah, good qualifier there at the end because I've kind of already penciled them in for that second round game and kind of jumped past Liberty. That's probably not a good idea uh, when you're talking about postseason play. Of course, Mississippi State will be in San Jose. Ole Miss will be in Columbia, South Carolina. An 8-9 matchup, and it's a Power 5 matchup. But it's a Power 5 matchup between kind of middle-of-the-pack conference teams. Oklahoma goes 19-11 and overall. They were 7-11 and in Big 12 play. Uh, Ole Miss obviously gets to 20 wins this year. They go 9-9 nine and nine in the league. Uh, you, you alluded earlier to the turnaround, the one-year turnaround and the remarkable job that, that Kermit Davis has done just to get Ole Miss to this point. Yeah, no, they're, they're playing with house money. There's no question. And, and I think that, that that can be a good thing or a bad thing. I, I think that Kermit has shown throughout the year that he pulls the best out of his team in good situations and, and kind of, you know, You've seen Ole Miss play some of these early high-level teams to the buzzer, you know, Tennessee and Kentucky at home. That's why I'm, I'm interested. Who knows, you know, obviously that 8-9 game is pretty much a toss-up. Oklahoma's really good. But if Ole Miss can figure out a way to get past that, I, I don't know if they really have a chance, but I'll love to watch that second-round game against Virginia. I think Ole Miss can really, you know, cause some problems because they can shoot well from three-point range. They've got great guard play, and, and that's what helps them march. So, um, Oklahoma's going to be a really tough game. I mean, that's kind of a push. Oklahoma is kind of a team like Ole Miss at times. They've looked amazing at times. It looks like, you know, this is like their second time on a basketball court. So um, it, it just depends on who shows up. Matchups are big. I think both teams are pretty guard-oriented, shooting-oriented. So it's, it's an even, even matchup. But I, I think, again, Ole Miss is playing with house money. I, I, I don't see why they don't go into this game when they're playing loose and, and playing the best they can. David, I guess I'm rubbing off on you. I just kind of penciled Mississippi State into that second-round game. It's like you just went ahead and penciled Virginia into that second-round game. Well, I, yeah, I guess that is. <laughs> Usually when they win that would be just fine. But, yes, given their recent history, that's probably not the, the best thing to do. But surely Lightning can't strike twice. Surely. Yeah, I, I said earlier, once in the first time in forever – uh, not really expecting it to be back-to-back years. It, it, it's interesting, though, because we were talking earlier about if you got to play a one seed in the second game and your options are Duke, North Carolina, Virginia, and Gonzaga, I think Virginia, you know, whether, it's, whether or not it's fair to Virginia or not, is the, the team out of those four that you would elect to play. No question. It, it's either Virginia or Gonzaga. I, I mean, you know, because the thing about Gonzaga is they're always awesome every year, but they have to go through the West Coast Conference, which obviously, you know, is not quite the level of NCAA competition that usually you get. So 
But, but Virginia, especially given the recent history, I, I definitely think you'd rather see them than Zion Williamson barreling down the lane after. Yeah, yeah, probably so. Virginia got, got a couple of guys that can absolutely light it up from the outside. It'll be fun to see if we get to that point with uh, Mississippi State and Ole Miss both in second-round games. David, good stuff, man. Thanks for your time. Absolutely, Richard. Take care. Have a fun weekend. That is David Brandt from the Associated Press. Okay, what we do next? Keep it moving, buddy. You can be a part of Sports Talk Mississippi. 888-808-8637 on Super Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, Cross, Borky, and Haydad and Rippy. Glad to have you along. Kermit Davis got a new contract today, or at least it's been agreed to in principle, head basketball coach at Ole Miss after one season. I actually reached out to find out if this was a contract extension or a new contract, and I was thinking along these lines because the way it was described with Mike Trout was they tore up the old contract and just gave him a new one. I think it's probably a hybrid or a, a combination of the two. Uh, one thing Ole Miss wanted to do was extend Kermit Davis out to the full four years that's allowed by the state. This contract extension announced one day or one year to the day from when he was hired, and there is a raise. There is uh, so a new financial component to it, and there is also um, a change in the incentive structure in the contract. However, as far as specifics go. I don't really have any uh, anything to give you more than that, other than he got a raise. We're making two and a half million this year, so that number is about to go up. I don't know how high. Two seven five, two eight, three. I mean, that's just throwing numbers at the wall. I think he's yeah, probably I mean, earned it. Three seasons. Yes, because isn't that what Luke makes? That you're not going to see a basketball coach making more than the football coach at, at an SEC school. Outside of Kentucky, maybe. Yeah, I don't know what. I don't remember off the top of my head Matt's contract. Is it three two, three million even? I don't know. I, I believe three million change. I, I don't have it in front of me though. Yeah, I, I don't know. And, and the other interesting thing to me about this is, um, as I understand it, this was something where Ole Miss took a very proactive approach. It's not like. Kermit Davis coached a year and came to him as he's getting ready for the uh, the NCAA tournament. And said, "Hey boys, let's uh, let's talk about an extension." Uh, but that uh, Ross Bjork and I guess the foundation kind of reached out and said, "Hey, we want to go ahead and knock this out, get this done, and announce it." Um, the, the, I mean, what what would be the reasons that you would do that? You you expect there to be a bunch of vacancies, and you're wondering if somebody might potentially come after the guy that you just hired. I mean, aren't a lot of big jobs about to come open? You would think, right? Yes. Because we've got another some. trial coming up next month, and yeah. there are going to be some schools and some guys named in this trial next month that are going to lead to some early retirements. So lock it up, pay him big bucks, because you know he's not getting you in that kind of trouble, and keep rolling. That and this is the time of year where they roll it back to four anyway. Yeah, well, I guess my only question here would be, 
Is this something that Ole Miss had to do, something that they're just doing out of goodwill, or something they believe they needed to do, and are they just bidding against themselves? I mean, that's kind of the only question. And I guess it's okay to bid against yourself if you just say, look, we think he did a good job. We want to give him a raise. We want to keep him happy because we don't want him to go anywhere for a long time. I guess that's a good way to approach it. Yeah, preventing intervention. Say what, hey, Dad? I think I think it's fair to assume that somebody would have made a play for Kermit Davis. You know, I mean, there are enough power programs out there that are going to be looking for a coach that it made sense to go ahead and get him locked up. Well, I've said to you guys, kind of as I traveled around this year, it was it was interesting to me um, how many coaches just kind of completely unsolicited that their reaction to Kermit Davis was. Man, that guy can coach. Like, apropos of nothing, you're just talking general basketball stuff and different programs and kind of bouncing around and getting thoughts that coaches have on different leagues and whatever. And if Kermit Davis's name came up, that was the response. That guy can coach. Took a long time for somebody to, to take a chance on him. And Ross Bjorton is the, did that, and to his credit, uh, you know, made a really good hire and doesn't want to go through that process again. I think that's the reason for them being proactive. Let's uh, let's stick with money for a second. You guys seen this story out here? Sports Business Daily uh, is reporting that the American Athletic Conference has come to an agreement with ESPN for a new TV deal. It's a big deal for the American. A $1 billion contract and a 12-year media rights deal. So the conference is going to get about four times what it was making per year in their previous rights agreement. The new average per year is $83 million and change per season. And the schools, like the individual schools' paycheck each year is going to go up by about $5 million a year. Now, that's fantastic, and it's going to mean a lot to those programs. But the number is going to get schools to an average of about $7 million per year in their TV rights deal. It's nothing to sneeze at. But still, when you compare it to what the SEC, ACC, Big Ten, Pac-12, Big 12 are getting, the gap is just massive. It's a quarter. But I suppose a quarter is better than, what, like a one-fifteenth? Yeah. So they were getting two million. Those other conferences seem to be averaging out to about thirty million. I'm just using very round numbers, and so now they're going to be at seven million with the others getting about thirty to thirty-five million, or forty or whatever the number is now. Just a massive gap. It's the story of college sports. It is. Even with, I mean, so this would qualify as a landmark day for the American Athletic Conference, right? They sign a billion dollar rights deal over the course of twelve years. It says the average is eighty three point three million a year for the conference. Yeah, yeah, it's a huge day, especially when, as much as they want to pretend like they're a Power Five conference, they're not. And when you compare them to the other non Power Five conferences, that deal doesn't exist anywhere else. It's hard to find. Conference USA football most of the time. 
Now you don't have to worry about that with the AAC. It's a big deal because if you're talking non-Power 5 football, it's the best deal out there by a long shot. Yes. So ESPN will maintain rights to all of the AAC's live programming with the exception of a small basketball package for CBS and some Navy football games on CBS Sports Network. Here's the interesting part. ESPN is making a big investment in content for ESPN+. Plus. Football, men's basketball, and women's basketball will stay on ESPN, ESPN2, and ESPNU, but the majority of basketball games and some football games will now go to ESPN+. That's an interesting part of the uh, part of the story. ESPN is continuing to build inventory for its uh, for its online content. They'll um, get to the point where you have to buy it. They're not there yet. As as just an average sports fan, you don't need ESPN Plus to function. But they're working towards where you have to spend that four ninety nine a month if you're a sports fan that wants to watch on a semi-regular basis. They're working towards it. They're not there yet. C Spire text line 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. I think Coach Davis got an extension because he took Kennedy's Keystone Cops and made them a freaking tourney team. Okay. Um. Never would have thought that kind of money for Mississippi State or Ole Miss from a basketball coaching standpoint. Here he said, uh, this, uh, the text was, you say Kermit Davis earns the 2 to $3 million this year, nothing against him personally, but does the Ole Miss basketball program bring in $3 million in revenue in a year's time? Yeah, it does. Mississippi State does too. Oh, yeah, he's um, Basketball, every game being on TV makes it a ton of money. And not your SEC Network Plus. Every game being on terrestrial television makes it only one of two revenue sports on campus. Um, Three, actually, at Ole Miss. And I think Mississippi State is three also uh, because of baseball. Ole Miss baseball operates in the black at about a $4 million a year item. Now, the, the only thing that that wouldn't include would be debt service on the stadium. And, hey, Dad, that, my guess is that's kind of the same way you would look at it at Mississippi State. I would think yeah. that the numbers would be comparable. You just can't factor in any debt service on the stadium when you start talking about whether or not the program is operating in the black or in the red. Does that, make, does that sound right to you? Yes. Yeah. I mean, you're looking at... at Mississippi State, Ole Miss, LSU, Arkansas, maybe South Carolina, maybe Texas A&M as the schools that are operating in the black in college baseball. It's hard to do. you got to sell a bunch of tickets, have some premium seats, and have some giving that's earmarked specifically for that sport. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Sports Talk Mississippi with you Tuesday afternoon. You can text the show, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395, the C Spire text line. We were talking about media rights deals, and there's a story at Awful Announcing talking about the ACC Network 
They are rolling out the ACC network in August. Um, not dissimilar from when the SEC rolled out the first big grab you gotcha event is putting a Clemson football game on. Now, the first SEC football game that was on the SEC network, little trivia question, boys, do you remember it? First college football game on the SEC network. Texas A&M and South Carolina. There you go. Kenny Hill Trill, the thrill for Heisman. It was a Thursday night game. It was about 7,000 degrees. Um, Georgia Tech-Clemson is the first ACC game. It's a game that is uh, that is at Clemson. The SEC Network was the most successful cable channel launch in the history of television. Can the ACC Network follow suit? Borky, this article says... Probably not. Yeah, they're having some holdouts uh, to the point where ESPN is basically asking angry mobs to do the same thing that happened during the SEC network rollout, although there are much fewer holdouts from these cable companies and television providers uh, than they're seeing right now. They're asking people to provide pressure to have these companies who are not in a contract renewal year to cave and strike a deal with the ACC Network. So they already have a deal with DirecTV, um, a service I've never heard of, Hulu, and PlayStation View. That's it. Um, the, the one you've never heard of, Altice, is actually like a big uh, cable provider. So like kind of a rural cable provider. Okay. They've got lots and lots of smaller markets that when you add them all up together, turns into a, a really big deal. Yeah, but they're missing, as you can imagine, uh, Comcast, Charter, Dish Network, and every other service provider that you can think yeah. of. And they're asking the public to pressure these people. And again, they're not in a contract year, so th- there's nothing really pushing them other than if they can get the kind of fan support that the SEC gave, and they're begging for it this time instead of vice versa. If I remember correctly, Dish Network and AT&T U-verse were kind of at the, the front of the line for carriage on the SEC network, and then a whole bunch of others kind of fell into place as the summer. But but it wasn't this deal where, so like right now you're sitting in March, and the channel launches in August, and everybody was signed up in March. I mean, it was kind of throughout the summer. You would see a, a press release where they added a new carrier, they added two or three new carriers, and by the time you got to the launch of the network in August, basically everybody was on board. There were maybe one or two holdouts. It will be interesting to see what they get done with the ACC network, but here's the other thing that's interesting to me. How much farther along and how much more successful the ACC has been with an unlaunched network in comparison to the Pac-12 that's been on the year for like six, on the air for like six or seven years now <laughs> and still can't get a deal done with the providers. wonder how much that is interest, though. I'm sure that has a lot to do with it. Like, like if, let, Let's say that a deal had not gotten done with DirecTV for the SEC network. There was so much buildup and like, like this kind of uh, fervor or furor that had been created. You would have seen lots and lots and lots of people in the SEC footprint, I really believe, Drop their Directv service and switch over to somebody else that offered it. Hey, Dad, do you do you believe that? 
I do. I do. I know that uh, I was talking to a, a friend of mine who's from Texas the other day, big Texas Longhorn. And with the Longhorn Network, he told me that there was a small cable provider out there. They got ahead of everybody else providing the Longhorn Network. And as it became more of an issue with some providers, they picked up a ton of business. Just because people hmm. were like, I want to have the Longhorn Network, and they get it. Really ACC needed to see basketball those. is what's going to drive this thing, though. Yeah. Because if the only way you can watch North Carolina or the only way you can watch Wake Forest or Syracuse or Duke or whomever is to have the ACC network, I mean, okay, we missed the Clemson-Georgia Tech game. Clemson fans are mad. A few Georgia Tech fans are mad. You you can't get you, you can't watch North Carolina Clemson in mid February. People go crazy. Yeah, but the digital platform already exists. I guess that's my my next question on this is because they rolled out the digital platform first. You can watch ACC baseball games just like you can SEC baseball games right now as long as you have ESPN in your cable package. Then mm-hmm. then you can watch it. So is there going to be that high demand when uh, the best games are going to be optioned to ESPN and you've already got the digital platform that you're already watching? So will there be that kind of pressure to get the cable providers to add this when right now you can already watch it and most people, like every, I've recently shopped for TVs, every single one of them that I looked at had a built-in web browser type thing. Mine is a Roku, for example, built into the TV. So I can use the Watch ESPN app, and I never have to get a cable subscription again with a login on the Watch ESPN app via my new TV. Look, I, I know this kind of makes me sound old mannish, and you'll just have to forgive me on this, but I think there are lots of other people that are like this. I stream stuff all the time, but I don't stream stuff through my television very often. I mean, I've got one Apple TV thing and sometimes use it on the back porch. I want to turn on my television and pick up a remote control and press the guide button and scroll to what I want to watch. I don't want it to be streaming, and I don't want... And I've got really good internet at home also. I, are, are, are there other people that are like me that are still out there? Or am I a completely dying breed? Probably more people like you than there is me. I stream everything. I use PlayStation View as, as my go-to, and it, it, it functions like a cable package, but if I'm having a bad internet day, if my internet provider is just a little bit slow, the picture's not as good. It buffers sometimes. So I enjoy it because it's a little bit cheaper, but I, I feel like there are more people like you than there are me. Hey, Dad, which one do you fall into? Are, are you streaming only, or do you still have some sort of cable or satellite? I, I have cable. Okay, now I will stream... Like, uh, you know, the baseball this weekend. I streamed those games, the, the, the one that wasn't on SEC Network. But for me, I, I'm still – I'm just a grumpy old man, and I, I just have cable television. Rippy, do you fall in one of the other categories? I stream a lot of stuff, but I still have, like – like I used to have direct TV until the like most very recent house I lived in. I had, like, uh, I guess Max South. Yeah, just the local cable. Yeah, but I stream a lot of stuff. I do both. Hmm. I was just curious. 
Uh, 601-879-4395. Uh, C-Ray asks a question. Does Super Talk pay your guys cable bill monthly since it's your job? Just curious if it's none of my business, I understand. Great idea. Uh, <laughs> I, like, I'm, I'm, I can get behind that. So, 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 so C-Ray, here are the answers to your questions. Uh, technically, I guess it's probably none of your business, but <laughs> the answer is no. No, we're kind of on our own for uh, for our own cable. However... I write it off on my taxes. You need and to teach me I, how to do I, that. Well, I feel like I could defend that in an audit seven days out of the week. I certainly hope I never get audited. But I could certainly defend at least a large portion of my cable bill um, being able to write that off of the taxes because it's my job. Borky, you got to figure out how to... I mean, it's whether or not you itemize stuff. If you itemize stuff, you get get to write it off, and if you don't, then you got a problem. Well, see, I don't not even know a problem. what that means. So. <laughs> okay. Well, you just need to keep trusting TurboTax that they're going to get you all that they can get you in your, your return. Okay. Yeah, I mean, Richard. No, I don't, I don't mean that in a <laughs> negative way. I mean that that you're, you, you've told me before that your tax return is fairly simple and fairly straightforward, and therefore yeah. using an online tutorial works I, I used to do it because I, I just I don't I don't own a home. Uh, I, I'm recently married. I don't have any children yet, so I've just used the the service because it was cheap and easy. But now, if you're telling me that all the stuff I do at home that can write off, I need to learn how to do that and be an adult for once. Ceasefire text line pretty good. This is a message from the Internal Revenue Service looking for Richard Cross. Please have him call ASAP. <laughs> Keith says, I'm like you, Richard. It's bad when your TV is smarter than you are. Stan says, live out in the country like me. I don't have unlimited internet. I'm a TV and radio guy. And that's a good point. And I guess that's part of why the whole rural internet deal is a really big deal in the state of Mississippi. And that seems to be progressing. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Let's talk Mississippi with you just after 5 o'clock on this Tuesday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey, glad to have you along. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. If you've never been to their website, you hear me say it like three or four times a day, you really should check it out, mslandbank.com, because it's really easy to navigate and kind of lays out what they do at Mississippi Land Bank. They've been financing land for over 100 years They understand kind of what's going on. In fact, a lot of the people that work at Mississippi Land Bank uh, are part of the agriculture industry. Either they've got family members that are farmers, they farm themselves, they are former farmers, and and so they understand the challenges that come along with farming. So if you're a farmer in North Mississippi and you need a land improvement loan or an equipment loan or a crop loan for the year, uh, maybe it's to purchase livestock or put in new irrigation systems, they help with all of those things including agribusiness loans. At Mississippi Land Bank, they know the lay of the land. You can find a branch location on that website, mslandbank.com. They're scattered across North Mississippi. You can also click on the Contact tab and have someone reach out to you or just find the number for the branch location that's closest to you and touch base with them. That's at Mississippi Land Bank. It's time right now for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com 
Find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. And it's not just trucks. It's cars and SUVs and vans. Whatever it is that you're in the market for, your local Mississippi Ford dealer has got it. Don't just look online. You can start online, but stop by and visit your local Ford dealer and test drive the vehicle that you like today. All right, what are we going to look at today for the college football fix? How about some spreads on games? That's right, opening weekend games, although not all of these are opening weekend games. Some of them are just really big games that fall at some point during the season. A lot of sports books have released their opening lines for notable games this year. Here are some of them. Florida and Miami, week zero. Florida is an eight-and-a-half-point favorite. Now, this is probably where we should detour and tell you that Tate Martell, the transfer quarterback from Ohio State, has been ruled immediately eligible. Dun-dun-dun! Right? You were waiting on that domino to fall. Yeah, at least we finally get to cover... Well, we don't cover NBA free agency here, but we have NBA free agency. We have it in Major League Baseball, even though it's not as exciting. Definitely have it in the NFL, as you've seen the last couple of weeks. And now we get college football free agency. It's amazing. Here's the... The NCAA, probably under the direction of the presidents, is now going to attempt the impossible. Have you ever accidentally squirted more toothpaste out than you needed? Have you ever tried to take that toothpaste and make it go back inside the tube? Yes, not. I realize that I am taking a cliche and expounding on it just a little bit. But seriously, think about it. People say, oh, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube, but nobody really ever thinks about what that means. So think about you're not paying attention in the morning, you're still half sleepy, you're brushing your teeth, and you accidentally squirt out three times more toothpaste than you need. What do you do? You let that blob fall off in the sink, and then you try to run water over it, but it won't all go down on its own. You have to get your finger down there and get it messy and then wash your finger. The whole deal, right? The toothpaste isn't going back in the tube. It appears that the NCAA is going to attempt to put some toothpaste back in the tube. And if ever there was an organization that you wanted to watch attempt a task that was nearly impossible... It's the NCAA, right? This is going to be fun to watch because I just when we talked about this when it happened, and I said, you know, if this is if he gets this eligibility, I don't see how you're not you're going to be able to let anybody sit anymore. And now that's where we are. I don't think anyone's been stopped before that. It was the Shea Patterson deal, was it not? Yeah, they made this rule. They crafted this rule to get Shea Patterson eligible at Michigan. And I keep tooting his horn because every time a new one of these transfers gets eligible, it's the same thing. When that happened, Richard said they have no idea what they've done because read the language on this rule, and that means it's going to open up Pandora's box. Anybody will claim any kind of hardship and get eligible, and now we've got uh, the baseball player situation at Georgia, and it's gone to Urban Meyer left. And that was enough for a wager or, or for a waiver. So you, you had multiple Ole Miss players that were ruled immediately eligible after transferring out after the, the entire Hugh Freeze NCAA stuff. Headlined, as Borky meant, mentioned, by Shea Patterson. 
And then it falls in line with Van Jefferson and with Trey Nixon and, and others. And then you get the Justin Fields story this year where Justin Fields is, he feels unsafe at Georgia because of something that happened hundreds of feet away from him inside a stadium that had 90,000 people in it where somebody made a derogatory comment. And you knew that the NCAA was going to allow Justin Fields to transfer and be eligible immediately. We saw it happen. But what I've said over and over is that the litmus test was going to be Tate Martell. Because Tate Martell had no reason to transfer other than he didn't want to lose the job to Justin Fields. And I don't really care what Tate Martell tells you about that not being the reason. That was the reason. If Justin Fields doesn't transfer in from Georgia, Tate Martell does not transfer out to Miami. So what could have been in the case? Well, Urban Meyer said he was going to be there. My circumstances changed. Okay. Fair enough. Circumstances changed. NCAA rules Tate Martell eligible immediately. Now you find me... So, so taking it a step farther... I said that if Tate Martell was ruled eligible immediately, it would open the door for everybody. And if he was not ruled eligible immediately, then they would sue the NCAA for immediate eligibility, for some sort of an injunction. And I think they would have won. And then ultimately it would have opened the door to transfers. So now the NCAA wants to go back and look at its transfer policy and perhaps make some changes, make some amendments. Good luck with that. And good luck with that when somebody tries to transfer a year from now, if you do make changes, and you don't allow the transfer to happen, because guess what is going to happen then? Tom Mars is going to come calling. Somebody's going to sue the NCAA, and they're going to say, hold on a second, you established precedent, and then you didn't like the fallout from the rules you established, so you changed the rules again, and I don't think a court will uphold it. That's where this is headed. 601-879-4395. That's the number for the C Spire text line. Richard and Wiggins says, Richard, it's all about how you put it back in. And he showed me the picture of a toothpaste where somebody, a, a tube of toothpaste where somebody had taken some scissors and cut off the opposite end. Well, that's what it's going to take, right? The NCAA is going to have to do surgery on its toothpaste tube. But guess what? That tube is no longer functional. You may be able to cut it cut it open and stuff the toothpaste back in, but you can't use the toothpaste tube anymore. Unless you, like, scoop it out with a spoon. Yeah. I guess we all expect them to try to reverse this because they did it on accident, but should they, in your opinion, try to reverse this? No, they shouldn't. You know, whether or not you want to see the Wild West or not with regard to transferring, I don't think the NCAA is really going about it the right way. But recent rulings have trended in the direction of making things better and easier for student-athletes. Would you guys agree with that? Yes. The NCAA is not ready to go with some wholesale change to pay players. But they have gotten to a point where there are more decisions that are happening that are positives for the athletes. 
you know, whether it is whether it's adding the, the stipend, the full cost of attendance scholarships, I think it's only a matter of time until we see a ruling that allows players to benefit from their likeness. And I actually heard an interview with the uh, the basketball coach at Old Dominion today who said, who thought that that was a good idea for the N- the NCAA and the schools to be able to capitalize on the likeness of players? He said it's the stupidest rule in the history of the world. I thought it was really interesting to hear a head basketball coach come out and say that. Might be better to have Mike Krzyzewski or Roy Williams come out and say that than the head coach at Old Dominion. But nevertheless, you're talking about a D1 basketball coach whose team's in the NCAA tournament. And Tim points out if you allow coaches to leave at will, then you got to allow players to leave at will as well. There's no penalty for coaches moving on. Why should there be penalty for players to move? Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi. Dan in Charleston says on the C Spire text line, guess the transfer thing is like Don Corleone said. It's not personal, it's just business. Ross Dellinger joins us right now on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. He is at Sports Illustrated and covers college football, among other things. Actually covering some basketball uh, coming up this weekend as well. Ross, I know this isn't entirely what we, uh, we're planning on talking about, but the Tate Martell ruling... Um, today he's going to be immediately eligible at Miami. Uh, I don't think it's a surprise ruling. We're just talking about the fact that the NCAA is going to try and revisit some of the transfer rules that they put in. It feels a little bit like trying to kind of put toothpaste back in the tube to me. What Do you, do you have a, a general thought on this? Yeah, well, it's a little um, – it's funny. I just, uh, <laughs> I just got in from a, uh, a bike ride and uh, just sitting down – to, uh, to Twitter to, to kind of read a little bit about the news and learn about it. Um, you know, uh, it's it, uh, it's surprising to me. I, I have to say, I, I didn't I didn't expect um, I, I didn't expect this, and uh, now it kind of opens the door, doesn't it? It just kind of kind of opens a can of worms um, where um, I don't know. I think you're going to see a lot a lot more. Of this, you know, I remember yeah. um, uh, a few a few weeks ago, maybe a few months ago, maybe even a couple of years ago, Nick Saban talked about the uh, you know free agency coming to uh, college football, and I think we're here. You know, I think it's arrived. I, I agree, and this is kind of rehashing what we were talking about just before we um, uh, you joined us on the break. Um, the, the the thing to me was when they put the rule in place that made it easy for some of the Ole Miss kids to transfer out after the, the whole Hugh Freeze NCAA thing. They were in a really dangerous spot. You knew Justin Fields was going to be ruled immediately eligible, but to me, Tate Martell was the litmus test. If he was ruled immediately eligible, it was going to kind of open up everything, and I thought if he was not ruled immediately eligible, then you were probably going to see a lawsuit where they sued for some sort of an injunction to make him immediately eligible, and I don't know that the NCAA would have had anything to stand on in court. The, the Justin Fields one wasn't, uh, yeah, wasn't as uh, surprising, uh, given what happened there with the baseball player and things that he said at the football game. Um, but yeah, th- this one is is one that 
will, will certainly raise some eyebrows a little more. Um, and uh, like I said, I'm just kind of getting caught up myself right now with it. And I'm, yeah. yeah, I'm like kind of uh, a little a little uh, shocked uh, in a way. Um, I just uh, you know we're uh, we're seeing the kind of the tide change as far as in college football, and I think it's changing for good in some ways. Um, I, but I think in other ways, um, in a couple of years down the road, we're going to look back and, and say, did we, uh, you know, did we open this thing up too much? Are we being uh, too laxed on on some of these these moves? Um, some of them inter you know interconference, interdivision moves. Yes. Yeah. We'll see where it all goes. Uh, Ross Dellinger on your radio from Sports Illustrated. You can follow him on Twitter at Ross Dellinger. What the heck's going on in Baton Rouge right now? Uh, You've got all the stories related to basketball with Will Wade. Obviously, he is not going to coach in the NCAA tournament. Javante Smart is ruled eligible by LSU, not by the NCAA, but by LSU because they said they couldn't find any wrongdoing, at least at this point in their inquiry. You got the story with Our Lady of the Lake, uh, the the medical uh, facility, the hospital there, where uh, money apparently is being funneled to uh, to LSU or some parts of the athletics department. It it feels like there's a lot going on. How much of it is going to affect LSU's athletics department? Well, it's never slow here, Richard. It's never slow here. Uh, when I leave, when I leave here in three weeks for. For my my move to DC with my wife, I'm uh, it's actually going to slow down moving to the nation's capital. I think because um, hmm. Baton Rouge seems to be always a buzzing. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I'll start with Will Wade. Uh, you know, there was uh, there there's always rumor and rumblings about latest and what's going on. There was a lot of rumblings and rumor today in message board fodder that they were meeting today and. Uh, you know, I, I've heard nothing about any kind of meeting today, and I, I honestly I don't expect uh, his lawyers to um, to allow him really to to or to condone an action of him meeting with um, with LSU. You know, and I so I don't expect to happen. So as you said, I doubt that he uh, coaches in the NCAA tournament, and a big part of me doubts that he ever coaches LSU again. You know, uh, especially given his uh, statement. Um, Thursday uh, of last week, when when he put out that statement, I think it was Thursday uh, when he put out that statement that was uh, you know calling LSU decision inappropriate, basically chastising his employer um, publicly. So that situation is just I think it's going to end uh, with Will not being LSU coach anymore, and Will potentially you know uh, having some NCAA uh, violations strapped to him, which of course will. Uh, impact potentially LSU. So, uh, you know, as far as the Our Lady of the Lake stuff, there certainly uh, is is quite a bit of um, rumblings there as well. Uh, you know, all I can tell you is is really what, you know, the statement that OLOL put out. We kind of knew it was coming, um, and uh, we had asked LSU for, for a statement after the OLOL uh, which is your, your 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 listeners might not know anything about this, but OLOL is a hospital in Baton Rouge, and their lead fundraiser was very closely tied to LSU football and LSU in general. He he did uh, fundraisers uh, that involved the head football coach. He was just tied deeply to LSU, and he got caught for embezzlement of embezzling of almost a million dollars uh, as part of the hospital foundation, and uh, the hospital did an investigation. Uh, and it turned over the last three or four months, and it turned up 
two instances of LSU athletics. Uh, I, I don't know what they they called them. I, they didn't call them wrongdoings. I don't remember exactly what they referred to them. And just instances that happened that kind of was uncovered. And LSU, uh, there, there are two of them, and they didn't reveal what they were. Uh, I asked LSU for a statement, and they actually, surprisingly, LSU gave me gave us details on uh, one of the two instances. And so one of them, they, they sent both instances instances to the NCAA. One of them was ruled as, as not to be any kind of violation. The other was LSU, a, a prospect, a recruit who, who eventually became a football player for LSU. His his father was employed by OLOL, got a job with the hospital right around the time he signed. So that is all that's been publicly kind of officially out there. There are other rumblings out there as well that I'm sure you're speaking to that I, I see in Baton Rouge. But um, as far as I know, there's been nothing kind of official about that in you know, uh, you know, OLOL's investigation didn't turn it up, but that's not to say other investigations won't turn it up. So, yeah, yeah lots happening like mm-hmm. usual here. I, I, I'm curious in the Our Lady of the Lake report that was out there, in, in that 880000 almost a million dollars that was, you know, embezzled, it said that there were you know, charter flights and lots of gift cards and whatnot. It, those don't necessarily leave a paper trail. Is there reason to believe that that some of those things were used to benefit LSU recruiting? You know, I, as far as recruiting, I, I don't, I don't know. I really don't. I, I, you know, if some of those like charter flights and things like, and I've heard here, you know, uh, uh, charter flights associated with LSU, you know, athletic figures maybe taking charter flights and things like that. Uh, that certainly is a bad look, but it's as crazy as as it is to say it's 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 not an NCAA violation, and that that's what might be the other instance that was cited in the hospital's report is a potentially an athletic figure taking a charter flight or charter flights, and apparently that was sent to the NCAA, and they said this is fine or whatever. Now it doesn't look good, you know, when you have a none of this looks good. I mean, you have a guy who uh, is embezzling almost a million dollars from a, a hospital that's just built or building a children's wing and all this stuff, and he's having these fundraisers with LSU figures. It, it doesn't look good, and I know it's, <laughs> I've gotten some texts from other SEC beat writers and, the, and other people around the nation that clearly uh, there is a buzz about this. Uh, I just don't know what's really true and accurate about it, you know, outside of what the report said. Um, I just I don't know how deep it really goes and what's true and what's fiction. It's tough to kind of parse through that right now. Um, and, you know, again, the hospital's investigation didn't find anything, but none of it none of it is a great look. That's, that's for sure. Ross, 15 seconds left. Will Joe Oliva continue to operate like a cat with nine lives, or is his <laughs> tenure going to come to an end? Well, you know, Joe's contract is uh, up a year from June. Um, so over the next three to five months, I would say, we will find out about that because if he's not given extension, we'll have the answer. We'll see. All right, Ross, appreciate your time. All the best in the move to our nation's capital. There's nothing crazy going on there, so at least you'll be going to a place where it's nice and calm. Oh, man, thanks. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank.
Super Talk Mississippi media production.